We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Honored to come to you from New Jersey right now. I'm filling in for Walker Wildman as I heard he announced last week. Not sure if he knew the significance of the day when he announced that I would be guest hosting for him in the future. It was March 7th, that exact day, which was 13 years to the day where I unfortunately was responsible for making an egregious decision which led to the death of a man named Hort Cap. Now, that's probably not the best way to start off a program and introduce myself. However, I do that because I want you to understand that by God's grace alone, there goes I. You see, the Bible is explicit, written by several individuals who were also responsible for taking life. David, as we know it, a man after God's own heart, Moses, even one of the leaders of Israel, Saul, who became Paul, recorded a majority of the New Testament. These were men that God used greatly who were responsible for making bad decisions that also resulted in the loss of life. Now, absolutely, that is not a qualification to be used by God, but clearly it is also not a disqualification to be used by God. And I want our listeners to know that in the multitude of news outlets that provide bad news, God is still in the business, and He is still the source of good news. You know, Walker last week said he's going to have on the show Matt Marr, and uh, last name's Mayer, and the reason I want to clarify that is because the name Matt Marr might remind people of the Christian singer, I am not him, I will not be singing through our program today. But I do want to cover some topics that would include my testimony as a way of encouraging you where you're at, where God has placed you for such a time as this. Reason being, as Walker and the team have amazingly covered various topics, current events, issues of our day, I would like to think of it as a telescope. They do an amazing job bringing issues that are far, and they bring them near, and they take current events that are blurry, and they make them clear. That's what they do. And I want to make the microscope my analogy. I want to take my small little life, insignificant as it is, and blow it up for God's glory, honor, and praise. As I said, March 7th was a significant day. It was the day that my life changed forever 13 years ago, and the reason being was I was part of the church, in a church at the time, as a young man, but I was not of the church. And I think that line is important for us to understand in this segment, to be in the church but not of the church always leads to complacency and compromise. I was raised in a strong Christian household. I knew better, but I did not do better. And all of those decisions I made, which took me off of the mark or the foundation that was laid beneath my feet, really combined 
a parable that Jesus told about those that hear his word and do not do his word. Conversely, those that hear his word and do follow through with his word. The one was a man who built his house on the sand, and of course storms came and crashed up against that house, and great was the fall. Of course, that's the house or foundation built on sand. And the other one, those that hear the word and do the word, that type of house can stand the test of time and trial, and that house and that foundation is able to endure. And the reason I take that is because I look at my own life, which serves as a microcosm. It's a smaller example that rolls over to a greater outcome. How I was raised in the church, had two Christ-loving parents, three older brothers and siblings, so the foundation beneath my feet from an early age was certainly one of brick and mortar, the rock of Christ. I stood on that as a teen. But as time went on and my accolades preceded me, I was a standout athlete. I also was top 10% in my classes through middle school and high school. And it was in those seasons of my life where I began to stray off that foundation that was laid beneath my feet. And I began to build a sandcastle. And anytime you build a sandcastle, it might look good. It's impressive to the naked eye. People praise the sandcastle. But when a storm comes, whether unexpectedly or even by your own hands, the own decisions we make, and that sandcastle goes crumbling down, I can confidently say it was Christ at the rock and the bottom, and I was able to stand up. Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to see the importance of where God has placed you for such a time as this, to be part of His church, to be in it but not of it, is to lead to complacency and compromise, and that's exactly what happened to me. I think Lauren Bragg of American Family Association wrote a publication recently that covers a little bit more detail of my platform. I believe it was entitled Wreckage to Redemption, and it covered just what God has done. And I'm going to share a little bit about that and encourage you with the hour we have together. So in that limelight, living for self, my own glory, neglecting the faith foundation that I was raised in, went to Temple University on a full scholarship, eventually began to make decisions that took me off that mark. They say sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And sin, ladies and gentlemen, will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I wish I didn't have to tell this part of my testimony or my story, but I think it serves as a, an example for each of us to heed where God has placed us and to see Him as the Creator and the Savior of our lives. It was on March 7th, as prefaced earlier, 2009, where I went out and made a decision to drink and then get into my vehicle under the influence of alcohol. Mind you, six days earlier, on March 1st of that year, I tore my ACL, my meniscus. That would be the last professional soccer game I would ever play in. I was a professional soccer player at the time, which brought great attention to this public failure of mine. I never made it to my destination on March 7th, ended up rear-ending another vehicle, which led to the passing away of the driver, a 55-year-old man named Hort Cap, father, brother, and a son. 
And I live with that weight and that guilt and that shame. And I woke up the very next day, a nightmare really, that became my reality. Didn't seem like it was real life, but with all of the coverage and with all of the wreckage and with the humiliation and the shame setting in, I mean, this is just an example of a private failure that led to a public failure. I was already failing privately as a Christian by name and not living for the Lord. And of course, that is what I would reap. Sowing and reaping is true here. I have a clip I want to share with you guys. It's an audio clip. You can hear kind of the reporters from that night in question on March 7th and just how the echo of my failure impacted not just my family, another family, and even a community at large. Guys in the studio, if you can run clip one, that would be great. Topping our news, a pro soccer player from Cape May County is charged with driving while intoxicated after being involved in a fatal accident. As Phaedra Laird reports, it's a surprise to the local community where the soccer pro is very active. And a lot of kids look up to us, so we want to give back to the community. He's a pro soccer player for the Philadelphia Kicks from Middle Township, who served as a role model for local kids. But now 24-year-old Matthew Mayer is accused of driving drunk when he was involved in a fatal accident. Uh, it's sad to hear that. Neighbors are shocked by the news and say Mayer is well known in the community. I guess we all make mistakes uh, once in a while, and that's it's kind of a big one to make. According to police, witnesses say Mayor was driving at a high rate of speed around 3 Saturday morning when his Cadillac Escalade slammed into the back of another SUV just before the $3 toll on the Atlantic City Expressway in Hamilton Township. When I rolled up, we knew we had uh, a major accident. After impact, the two vehicles went separate ways. The Escalade slid to the left, crashing into this guardrail. The other car slid to the right, crashing into this guardrail, partially ejecting the driver. The car then continues to slide on its side, coming to a stop in the middle of the roadway. And there was debris from the left-hand shoulder all the way to the right-hand shoulder. The other driver died at the scene. Police say Mayor and his passenger were not physically harmed, but were shaken up. Very remorseful, very remorseful and cooperative. Mayor was charged on release. His father is the Cape May County Executive Undersheriff and a former police chief. No one answered calls or knocks at their family's Middle Township home, but a team official spoke to us by phone. The incident is with the authorities and we're going to, we're going to respect that process. Um, and keep that situation there, um, deal with it in-house, let the authorities handle the situation at this time. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with Matt, his family, and both families involved. Authorities say their investigation That's is continuing progress. and further charges could be filed. In Hamilton Township, Phaedra Laird, News Channel 40, NBC. And even after all this time when I hear a clip like that, which echoes in my soul, there's this nausea that kind of rises up in my stomach considering the decision I made and I realized in that time of my life everything outside of me was my identity my possessions my status the attention I was given as a pro soccer player in my community and beyond you know when you think about what Jesus said what does it profit a man to gain the whole world to have the whole world in your hands and yet forfeit your soul or lose your soul and there's truth when you neglect the development of your soul. Remember, I was in the church of Jesus Christ. I knew the gospel, but I was not of the church. And I think that's really where the application 
lies for those that are listening. How many of us are part of a church, in the church, in the pew, listening to the gospel, hearing the Bible preached and taught, watching YouTube videos, podcasts, listening to AFA at the core, hearing all of these things that deal with a biblical worldview, and yet not allowing the truth to penetrate. And I say complacency in your Christian walk is the most dangerous place to be for all of us. And we're all guilty as charged. My decisions and my failure just may be louder than other people. And clearly, I realized the ramifications of what I did as it came to me in print. USA Today had covered the story. And I realized in that moment, goodness, how far had I fallen? That's bad news. If you're listening now, that is terrible news. But we serve a God of redemption. And I knew in that moment, it was a 10-month window where I had to wrestle with the consequences I was charged immediately with first-degree aggravated manslaughter. I was looking at up to 10 to 30 years in New Jersey State Prison. Everything that I had gained up into that point, a name, possessions, completely lost. And yet, you know what? None of that mattered. What mattered most was would I be able to own the consequences, be remorseful and humble, and seek forgiveness. My heart beat to seek forgiveness from this man's family, family I did not know, but in time would have an opportunity to address them face to face. My sentencing was set in stone. It was January 7th, 2010, 10 months exactly from the day in question, March 7th, all the way to January 7th where I would stand before a judge. And if you're listening up until this point, please note that I deserved the consequences that were about to fall on my life. I deserved the guilt, the shame, the weight of that decision, the sin that became public. I deserved it all. And it was only a matter of time before me and my family would stand before a judge for the crime that I committed. And that day, January 7th, 2010, is a day that would serve as a catalyst to where I'm at today. And I look forward to sharing a little bit more about that when we come back. January 7th, 2010 is going to serve as an amazing picture of God's redemption. You're not going to want to miss what happens next this is matthew mayer filling in for walker wildman on afa at the core on american family radio be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it my name is abraham hamilton iii and this is the hamilton minute according to the most recent reports provided by the center for disease control and prevention researchers looked at fertility rates for women of all age groups and ethnicities and found the nationwide rate was 16% lower than what is needed for a population to replace itself. There has been much discussion about the demographic winter in various European countries. Well, that demographic winter has reached the United States. The first command God gave mankind in Scripture was be fruitful. But man has the penchant to fancy his own ways over God's. Rejecting God's ways always carries severe consequences. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III 
public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. God is a God who. We could follow this phrase with many aspects of God's character, but in times of loss and grieving, how do you lead your girl back to the true nature of God? One way to lead well through grief is an empathy. Romans 12:15 tells us to weep with those who weep. In the kingdom of God, it's good to cry. God meets us where we are in our grieving. He doesn't give us a disconnected pat on the shoulder until we pull ourselves together. God the Father acknowledges loss and comforts the soul. If your girl is in a time of grieving, share the hope and trust that her Creator sees her right where she is and will bridge the gap to peace in the aching. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And we're back at it, guys. My name is Matthew Mayer. I am filling in for Walker Wildman. Honored to have this opportunity, really using this program as a flagship. I was afforded the opportunity to join AFA at the core on American Family Radio for future episodes. So we'll probably reference this episode so I don't have to get lost in the very fine details of my testimony. I intend to honor the thread of the core, looking at current issues and current events and providing a biblical worldview so that you can be equipped to navigate the times that we live in. These are times most incredible, which require the truth of the Bible. And if you're listening this far, I shared with you a testimony of great failure. It took place on March 7th, 2009, which was 13 years ago last week. In fact, that was the exact day that Walker went on air and said, we'll be having a guest with us in the future. His name's Matthew Mayer. And I remember just kind of smiling in my heart going, only God would know that on that exact day, which carried such weight and real meaning to me, at least all these years later, the impact it has, I made a bad decision. I played professional soccer for several years, was known for that, at least in my community, and that led me to make bad decisions, and I often don't want it to go overlooked that I was a Christian. I called myself a Christian. I, I wore the name Christian, but if I'm being honest, I did not bear the nature of Christ. And those 
two are completely opposite, wearing the name versus bearing the nature. The goal is to close the gap between the two. When I say I am a Christian, the goal is to reflect Christ. And I was in the church, but I was not of the church. And I wonder how many listeners right now are in a church, but not necessarily of the church. They might be in Christ, but not necessarily of Christ, or Christ is not necessarily the Lord of your life. He's Savior. He saved you. You know you're forgiven, but you've never declared him Lord and given him every aspect of your life. I made that decision on March 7, 2009. It resulted in the at-fault drunk driving fatality of a man named Hort Cap. Ten months exactly existed, and I would stand before a judge for that decision that I made. And it was a day that came quick. I'll never forget it. And as it came, my family gathered, members of my church at the time, Christians in the community, to pray, and of course to ask God to go before us for mercy, while at the same time that we would honor me specifically, that I would honor my victim's family in word and even in deed for the rest of my life. On January 6th, the night before we gathered and prayed as a family, I'll never forget my mother closed out a time of devotion with a prayer, and she quoted a proverb, Proverbs 21.1, and she stated, according to the word of the Lord, that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he'll turn it whichever way he wills, and that's truth. And even the judge's heart would be in that very same hand, the hand of the Most High, and our hearts would be placed in his hand, and God would turn it whichever way he wills. And even this, this family of this lost loved one, even their hearts would be in his hand. And that was her prayer, and I'll never forget it, because I woke up on January 7th at peace, knowing that I'd walk into courtroom wearing a suit, and I would leave on the other side wearing a jumpsuit. And I would stand before the judge for the crime I committed and the consequences that were loud and clear about breaking man's law. And I want everybody to know that that day was warranted. That was the due process, the outcome of breaking man's law. And as I stood before the judge, I had the opportunity to speak my heart. And I shared with this family how sorry I was. And if I could trade places, I would. But we all know that's not realistic. And I would live a life in honor of my faith and my God and their loved one. From that day forward, January 7, 2010, as the Lord would allow. And I sat down. Nobody had any idea what was going to happen next. A couple members of Mr. Hortcap's family were able to speak and share. And I'll never forget the daughter. She spoke and she said, we've heard nothing but good things about Mr. Mayor. She turned and pointed to me and said, now let me tell you about who my daddy was. And it was beautiful. I needed to hear it. Everybody in the court needed to hear it. And then she sat down and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And then her brother stood up and he got to speak his heart. And he was angry with me, of course. And I was the object of his anger. And he began to yell at the top of his lungs. And there was media present on that day waiting to capture what was going to happen. And you're going to hear an audio again of the media's coverage. There's going to be some music in the background. And there's probably going to be a gap with just music. And I'm, I'm telling you in, in advance, the gap is miraculous. And what's happening on the video during the gap is something that only God could arrange. I want you to hear that and then I'll 
give some more color commentary to it. Guys, run clip two, please. The heartfelt words from 25-year-old Matthew Mayer are directed at the family of the man he killed while drinking and driving. There is not a day that has gone by that I wish it was me. And only me. But no matter what, no type of words or no amount of words seemed adequate. You know what, how that made me feel? It destroyed my world. I was unable to say my farewell before my daddy's passing. I know that he looks down upon us with grace and waits until we are all together again. From here on out, all the good that I do will be in memory of your loved one and in honor of his name. While Mayor said he hopes one day Cap's family can forgive him, it came sooner than expected from the victim's oldest son. sentenced to five and a half years in state prison he says he fully accepts his sentence only the pain he has in his heart for what he's done will stay with him for life and you know what you just heard in audio form there's a video that expressly shows and shares what took place in that courtroom you can find it at truthovertrend.com and i don't say that to promote anything that I'm currently doing in ministry. It's simply to point you to the video form of what you just listened to. And during that lull of commentary and the music in the background, you would have seen my victim's son. His name was Noon after he yelled at me and told me I was responsible for taking his father from him. And I destroyed his world, he said. And then he stopped. And this composure came over this young man that only heaven could provide. And he stopped and he paused and he pondered, then he came walking over to me, and the judge gave the bailiff a nod, letting me know I could stand, and I stood right there, and him and I, Mr. Horkap's son, and I, we hugged. And he said, but I forgive you, my brother, and I'll never forget those words. And I whimpered, and I cried, and we held each other, and the weight of the world, and all of that guilt, and all of that shame, it literally evaporated. I cannot express, I cannot verbalize what took place in my soul in that moment. I can say that the judge would render down a five and a half year prison sentence, and yet the words, they really did not hit me the way most people would expect them to. I remember being set free in that moment, physically incarcerated, yet spiritually liberated. And the scene is appropriate. There's a parallel, and the Lord gave it to me within the first several weeks of my incarceration in a cold, dark prison in New Jersey. And I flashed back to that courtroom scene. I remember reading Romans 5, 8, and what dawned on me was, every one of us deserves judgment. We are all sinners. We're made of the same stuff. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And in the place of judgment, there are consequences. And we're all going to stand before a judge one day, unless, unless a son stands up and enters in and interrupts the process, unless a son gives us what we don't deserve, and that's the gospel. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we're in our sin, while we're sinners, Christ died for us.
and my very own testimony, standing before a judge, God gave me as a picture of what Christ the Son came, interrupted, intercepted the judgment that I deserved. I was set free like never before. I spent the next 55 months in a state prison behind a wall, and what I learned early on about that type of environment, it's a dark environment. If you want to classify it as a culture, it's one that is decaying. It's set in its way. And I learned that if I was going to wait every single day to wake up with my peers, literally when the lights would shine on, that the day would devour me. And I think this is true for every one of us, no matter where we wake up right now, no matter what state we live in right now, no matter what week we walk through right now, this sets the tone. If I was going to wait to wake up with my peers and all chaos would break out and there would be arguments and fights over the simplicity of washing your hands in a sink or going to the bathroom at a urinal, there was fights at 6.03 a.m. because the lights turned on at 6 a.m. Blood would be splattered on the wall. And I remember saying, if I wait to wake up with all of this, this day will devour me. This circumstance is going to destroy me. So I woke up earlier than hell. That's how I say it. I woke up at 5 a.m. and I would get on my knees on the concrete floor and I would get to a table by myself. Now here's where I came bouncing back to that faith foundation that I shared about. The foundation I was raised in. And I opened the Bible and the book that I had known my whole life. Stories and narratives and Bible verses that began to drop from my brain, my mind, and they made their way to my heart. They were no longer just memorized. They became actualized. It wasn't about memory at this point. It was about intimacy with the author of the book. Romans 12, 2 comes to mind, right? Do not be conformed to this world. No matter what's going on around you, the world will attempt to fit you into its mold, but be transformed by the, con by the renewal of your mind. That's what the Bible says about our transformation, to be transformed and that your life would become the very evidence that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable. And that's what I wanted. I wanted God to make much of himself through me in that culture. And I'm using that word intentionally at this point because I'd read verses like, you're the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor, what's it good for? It's good for nothing but to be thrown down on the ground and trampled under the feet of man. And when I learned what salt meant, biblically speaking, and when Jesus said it, he was making some implications about his followers. Salt adds flavor. We know that because some of us, according to our diet, we add salt to everything, and salt adds flavor to a meal that's bitter. And this is exactly what Christ has called us to, to be the flavor of the Savior. And you're saying, what's that got to do with you? What's that got to do with the current circumstances I'm walking through? I'm saying everything. When you know Jesus Christ, when you're in him and of him, when you're in the church and of the church, and you're the salt of the earth, you become the flavor that seasons the meals of men and women who are bitter. Because they need to know that what you say you believe, you actually believe. Salt also is a preservative. Salt, in the times that Jesus said it, was a, a highly sought-after accommodation. It was something they used to preserve their meats and their fishes in the days before refrigeration. So salt became a preservative. It would delay the decay that was inevitable. Mind you, the fishes and the meats were going to spoil, yet when salt was added to the equation, it just delayed. It delayed the inevitable. 
And the world we live in, if you know the Bible, is on a trajectory of decay. It's going to eventually lead to a complete corruption, yet not when the church and the Christian are in their rightful place. We are to delay the decay of the day by simply being in the way. The only way salt can lose its flavor is if it's leached out and mixed with other ingredients. And I recognize as my former life projected a life that was mixed with other ingredients. I said I was Christian, yet I was worldly, and those two do not mix. So I was not the influence or the salt of the earth, and the Lord had to lock me up to get my undivided attention to show me when you're a salt, you don't stay in the shaker, right? And this is where the point needs to be made. You don't stay contained when you're the salt of the earth. You, of course, you engage and you share light and you be love, and this is what the world around us needs to see. And it was for 55 months in a dark place like prison that I can tell story after story about what God did to redeem this broken heart of mine and used me to share the gospel to broken men around me. And salt became kind of like the anthem that I was going to be mixing it up with the people around me so that I could add flavor to the hearts that were bitter salt began to preserve an environment that otherwise most people would expect to be decaying. I'm, I'm confident that when we get in the right place, we spend time with the Lord early in the day, we eat of His Word, we allow the Holy Spirit to influence us, that we become the very salt that the people in our life need to taste and we become the very light that the people in our life need to see. And that's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But I get it, I truly do. We're told that our faith needs to be compartmentalized, that we should keep that to ourselves. The world we live in says, you know what, that faith of yours is a Sunday thing. Don't talk about Jesus in the public square. Likewise, Matt, do your Bible studies, stay to yourself, you know, highlight your, your verses. Don't talk to me about truth. You live yours, I'll live mine. And we allow the world to dictate our very actions. And it ought not be. And I wanted to encourage you so far to know God wants to use you where you're at. It's important to place yourself in a position where you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We'll be back in a little bit. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. The Freedom Convoy in Canada was intended to peacefully get the government's attention and restore basic freedoms. Instead, Prime Minister Trudeau seized the chance to increase the government's power. Matthew White points out in his article in The Stand, it's not the first time such tactics have been used. This is a situation everyone needs to be familiar with because it could happen anywhere, even in America. 
You should read Canada Just Proved Bigger Government Equals Less Freedom at afa.net slash the stand. You know, when Matthew 19, the, the scripture records a Pharisee trying to test Jesus concerning marriage, and Jesus responded, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the beginning, the first institution God created was the family. Marriage is the centerpiece of family. As a husband and father myself, let me tell you, marriage is absolutely wonderful. And we want to encourage and educate people to embrace God's design as the fundamental building block for all of human civilization and to celebrate the lifelong union of one man and one woman as the objective institution that produces human flourishing. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. For American Family Radio, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Who are you going to listen to? The Internet has been good for many things, but it's also given everyone a platform. And not everyone is an expert on everything. We might like to think we are. Ever experienced this? You're Googling the symptoms you're having, and after five minutes online, you're more confused than when you started. One person says one thing, another says something else. But even in our modern confusion, there's one person we can listen to. Deuteronomy. Moses told us, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Well, that prophet has come the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a time of too many voices, he's the one that's trustworthy. Try out Anchor Devotional today in print. Visit getanchor.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. This is Matthew Mayer here filling in for Walker Wildman and the team. AFA at the Core, American Family Radio, Guys, thank you so much for your support. We appreciate that. The platform of American Family Association has plenty of resources. AFA.net, AFR.net. My name's Matthew Mayer. So far, we've covered some ground. If you're still listening in here, of course, on March 7, 2009, I made a very fatal decision, which landed me in state prison. On the day of my sentencing, of course, I was the recipient of forgiveness and grace that I did not deserve from my victim's family, which set me free. And ultimately, the time I spent in prison became more or less a honeymoon with Jesus because I fell back on that faith foundation that I was raised in. And I began to devour the Word of God, and I realized the spiritual implications of what is within us as believers. Christ in us, the hope of glory, we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, we are a reflection of Jesus Christ. I had to wake up earlier than hell in there, literally. Hell woke up at 6 a.m., and all of the environment really conformed. It conformed to the standard of, let's say, the culture or institution, the system, bitterness, evil, anger, resentment. It was a real ugly and heavy place, and I said, there's no way, knowing the Bible, knowing the author of the Bible, knowing that our role is not to conform but transform, to be salt, to help slow the decay, delay the decay of the day, I often say, 
by doing what? Be in the way. Simply be where God has placed you. Be one, equipped with truth, ready to share. And there were a million ways we did that. I started a Bible study that began to grow, and that became really a force for God's glory. People from all walks and backgrounds, all types of ethnicities and colors, and even religious persuasions were coming to a Bible study. And there I sat, and I realized in that moment, I had no idea what God was doing, that He was preparing me and priming me to be useful in His economy to His church eventually. No clue. I just was teaching the Bible because I fell in love again. I fell back on my first love, and I wanted to share as much as I possibly could with everyone around me. And and I pause and I pivot and I share with all humility. I recognize that time in my life, 55 months in prison, became like a seminary, right? I actually call it a cemetery. It was the place of the dead. And yet in a cemetery, when you have Jesus, it basically becomes a seminary. And even a seminary with without Jesus, that's a cemetery. Do you see what just happened there? And, and that's how I looked at it. Here I am in a cemetery with Jesus, and he used it as a seminary, and he began to teach me, and he began to instruct me, and he began to share with me what he required of me. And what I recognized was that I was to be his reflection. This is what the Bible commands. And I think this is what we need in our world, as the news outlets are constantly telling us the world is evil, and it is, and it's corrupt, and it is, and it's decaying, and it is. And we sit there and we watch it, and I'm saying the church and the Christian, we are the ones that can stand in the gap. We can delay the decay. You know, there's been a lie that has entered the church, and a lot of Christians have believed it, and I think it's what's kept us in our little Christian bubbles. And I want to make a parallel here with a, a, a real experience for me, but show you how it's applicable to you, and it's the lie of separation of church and state. And you might have heard that line before, and it really has done some damage where people are staying in their their lane, because you know what? We should not get involved in the public square. We should not get involved in politics. You know why? Because I'm just passing through here, I say, and I quote a verse out of Peter. I'm just a sojourner. I'm just a pilgrim, right? And that's true. That's a half-truth. I am just passing through here. But I can pull equal amounts of verses like Jeremiah 29, where we're told to seek the peace of the place where we're at, and in the peace of the city, we have peace. I can quote other verses where we're citizens of heaven on earth, and we're supposed to conduct ourselves with the rights and responsibilities of our kingdom, and that doesn't mean I am silent, and that doesn't mean I stay on um, the sidelines of life. Oh, no, no, no. It means that my faith infuses my perspective my decisions, my faith infuses everything about my life. And a lot of people say, you know what? We'll just stay out of that political arena. We'll stay out of the public square because the the, the line separation of church and state. And I said the line of separation of church and state, which has done great damage, is just that. It's a line that has been misquoted over time. In fact, the first time it was used was in a court case in 1947, it was the Everson versus the Board of Education case. It set precedence for that line, which was a quote from a letter, right? We call it separation of church and state, but it was actually a quote from a letter that was written by Thomas Jefferson. And while many falsely claim that church and state need to be separated, we got to remember the church is the means for the state to remain 
liberated. There'd be no such thing as the American state or the United States without the church. And from its inception, the foundation, this is how the governmental framework was grounded. It was grounded in biblical truth. We know that because even in the first inaugural address, April 30th, 1789, George Washington would say, we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles, favorable smiles of heaven, can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and the right which heaven itself has ordained. In, in translation, God's favor cannot fall without God's order. And that was 1789. Less than 200 years later, in 1962, the Supreme Court outlawed a simple 22-word prayer. It was a non-denominational prayer devised by the New York Board of Regents and was used in the New York public school system. And here's that prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. 22 words. And that became a point of contention. A year later, the court issued another ruling declaring that reading the Bible and reciting the Lord's Prayer in Pennsylvania and Maryland public schools was unconstitutional, thus outlawing without the citation of a single case faith practices that had existed in American schools on American land for over 170 years. And from that point forward, 1962, 1963, you can trace the fine line of moral decline of our youth and our country from that place and forward. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a public truth and should be introduced to public life and in the public square. And yet we believe a line, separation of church and state, that says the church needs to stay in its space. Let me read directly from that letter, which it takes a few minutes to Google search it, which baffles me that a lot of people don't do that. And yet, as a pastor, People tell me all the time, Pastor, you should leave politics out of the pulpit. To which, to which I often say, to say you don't want politics in the pulpit is to say you don't want God in government. Think about that. To say you don't want politics in the pulpit is to say you don't want God in government. Well, here's that letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Dansbury Baptist Association. And this is just one part of the body. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislator, here we go, should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's the Establishment Clause. Thus building a wall, here's that phrase, of separation between church and state. And the court case took that one line and attempted to say there should be a wall between church and state, and that's not what it meant. In fact, there'd be no state without the church. It just simply meant that the state cannot dictate a state religion, and that's what the early patriots of this country were fighting for because they just came from Great Britain where the king determined the religious state, and they wanted to be able to worship God freely, and that's exactly what our land was founded upon, and that's exactly what the church should be upholding, and that's exactly what the Christians 
should be implementing, no matter where God has placed them, as a police officer, as a politician, as a lawyer, as a judge, as a trash truck driver, as a school teacher, as a minister, wherever God has placed you, we are to reflect his glory and be a representation of his person. We are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now back to the prison because imagine if I use that same logic in a place like that. I'm just going to stay to myself. I'm going to mind my own business. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to highlight my verses. And you know what? I'm just passing through here. I have a release date. That's true. I was just passing through there. This, this place is not my home. That was true. Prison was not my home. But that's not what I did. The commandment or the commissioning that God put on my life and every Christian was to engage, was to reflect, was to be the salt. And I saw broken hearts hardened by life and sin begin to change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't take credit for that. I boast in what the cross accomplished in their lives. Heroin addicts that were set free from that bondage, giving their lives over to the Lord. A former mob enforcer for a crime family in New York City with a hard heart, criminal beyond criminal, spent his entire life in all types of institutions, prisons, state and federal, and yet God had a divine appointment for this man. And I had no idea that my actions, my conduct, and my character, all of which wanted to reflect Jesus, understanding it was not I that lived, but Christ that lived inside of me, all of which became the very, I guess, reflection that this hardened criminal needed to see. And by God's grace alone, one day God just cracked that heart, and I watched a radical transformation, a 330-pound mob enforcer, a soldier for the Godfather, literally crumble and, and begin to weep and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and now he is a soldier for God, the Father. What are we getting at here? Well, my testimony, lending itself to challenge and charge the believer, no matter where God has placed you to understand, you cannot separate your faith from your activity. Those two cannot be divided, right? You do not divide secular and sacred. You take what is holy and sacred and you infuse it into the secular. You utilize the influence God has given us to change the culture, right? We delay the decay of the day by being in the way. It's interesting how the outcome of my life turned out. I don't take any credit for this. I was released on August 3rd, 2014. It seems like yesterday. And if you're listening this far and you might have made some decisions in your life and you're saying, man, the world we live in, it's just, it's, it's on its way to hell. And I don't know how God can redeem it. And the news is terrible. Remember I said March 7th was that date for me. It was a heavy date. Every year when it swings around, the anniversary, it brings nausea back into my stomach, and I'm reminded what I did in a bad way. And last year, that date was the 12th year, and it was swinging around, and no different. Thinking about it, it's in the forefront of my mind. And The only difference was my wife was pregnant. We were about to have our second child. And we were due at the end of February. Well, that due date came and went, and March quickly became the month. March 1st quickly became March 3rd. March 3rd quickly became March 5th. March 5th to March 6th, and my wife's water breaks. And I rush her to the hospital, and of course, in labor and delivery, she's picking up pace with labor all morning into the afternoon. Eventually, the afternoon turned to the early evening, early evening to late night. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember looking at the clock on the wall, and 11 p.m. turned to 12 midnight, and the digital hand on my Apple Watch turned from March 6th to March 7th. And it was on the very day that my hands took life, 12 years earlier, 
that God would ordain my hands to receive life. God literally turned a death day into a birthday. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is an example of what God is able to do in the midst of such bad news in our world, in the midst of such tragedy, in the midst of ashes, decisions that we may have made that have heaped up destruction, our God is able to restore and redeem. He's taken the years eaten by the locust and he's given them back to me and I don't deserve it. It's remarkable. I want to encourage you today. I just really wanted to share my heart and my testimony as Walker and the team have allowed me this opportunity to just share with you the importance of the role and responsibility that God has given you on planet Earth. Recognizing that to be in the church is not enough. We are called to be of the church. To be a reflection of Christ Jesus our Lord. To live with a biblical worldview so that we can filter everything that we see through that lens. To be those that share the gospel, the good news. To be those that are quick to forgive because we've been forgiven. To live in the land of liberty and to be about liberty. To share redemption because this world desperately needs it. My testimony points to that. No matter your great mistake, God's grace is greater. When we get Christ back on the throne of our lives, our hearts, our families, our marriages, our workplace, our community, our society, our state, our country, when we put him back where he belongs, we'll begin to see things come together revival. When the body of Christ comes together through the gospel, our souls and our society will know revival. My name is Matthew Mayer. Honored to have spent this time with you. This is AFA at the core. Looking forward to sharing more in the future, Lord willing. Thank you guys for tuning in. Grateful for your support this far. May God bless you and keep you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.